Welcome to Significant Women. My name is Carol McLeod, and I can't wait to dig in with you to what it means to live a truly significant life. This is a podcast that will be focused on bringing out the very best in women in all walks of life, in all seasons of life, and in every aspect of life. I hope that you'll join me every week for stirring conversation about what it means to be a woman of grand significance at this moment in history. And if I could just give you a little spoiler, it might not be as hard to live a significant life as you have thought that it was. Now, some weeks I'll be sharing principles with you that are attached to someone else's story, to my story, or to the never-changing powerful Word of God. Other weeks, we'll have a conversation with women who are choosing in spite of their pain, in spite of their weaknesses, and in spite of their disappointment to live lives of unmatched significance. These women are heroines in my book. The women to whom we'll be talking are just ordinary girls, women whose names you won't even know, but their stories are riveting, their hearts are passionate, and their lives are certainly worth emulating. Quite simply, the women that you'll be meeting on the Significant Women podcast are the type of women that you and I need to hang out with. Well, on today's episode, I'll be sharing with you my story of infertility, depression, and cancer, and yet how through it all, God has used me to encourage other women who are dealing with pain. So let's get started. Welcome to the very first episode of Significant Women. We all have a story that helps to define who we are. We all have a story that has molded us into the women we are today. Listen, I love a good story, don't you? I love romance stories and good versus evil stories and stories where wrongs are righted and where the guy gets the girl. Well, where the right guy gets the girl. Growing up, I loved the stories of Laura Ingalls Wilder and Louisa May Alcott, and I loved Anne of Green Gables. You know, what I've discovered is this is what I love. I love the power of an ordinary life that faces typical everyday issues, and then this ordinary life figures out how to live well in spite of discouragement and disappointment. Now, some of you love superhero stories. You love those epic tales that are bigger than life and come to an unexplainable and superhuman conclusion. I like reality. You might like fantasy. But I will say this. It's interesting to me that in an epic superhero tale, every hero Every hero has an inherent weakness that they must overcome in order to win at life. And this is what I want to tell you. Whether like me, you like the simple stories of life, or like some of my friends, you like those superhero tales, this is what I want to assure you of. Your significance to live well, 
to live extraordinarily well is not predisposed by your weakness. Your significance is actually dependent upon an outside force in life because on your own, you don't have what it takes to live significantly. Okay, so stories. Stories have power in our lives, and your story, believe it or not, has power. My story has power. And the Bible verifies this with the words that John and the Holy Spirit wrote in the book of Revelation. Let me read their words to you. Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him, that's the evil one, because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. So this verse tells us that there are two key components to overcoming, to living victoriously. And the two key components are this, the blood of Jesus. That's the outside force. That's what you need in life to live the life that you were always meant to live, a life of grand significance. The other component to overcoming is the word of your testimony. Now, testimony is simply a religious word, an old-fashioned word that means story. It is your personal story. Your story is written at the crossroads in life where your pain has met the power of God. Oh, that's good. Let me say that again. Your story is written at the crossroads in life where your pain has collided with the power of the God who is always good. Your story is that moment when human disappointment is redirected by God's destiny for your life. Your story is written when failure is miraculously transformed by the faithfulness of the Father. So we are all here to write a story. We are all here to live a life of honor and purpose and fulfillment. Now, ideally, we don't write our story alone, but we partner with the greatest author in all of recorded history. In case you're wondering who he is, he's the one who wrote the Bible. He's the one who was the creator of the universe. Now, you can try to write your story alone without his input, but I wouldn't recommend it because you are here to tell the story of Jesus with your life. And your life will only be as significant as your decision to honor Jesus with every thought, with every word, and with every action. Jesus is able to bring his power and his grace to our insignificance, and then a miracle happens. We become significant. We, as ordinary women who are living a mundane, average life, we become significant in his kingdom and his marvelous plan. And so today, I want to tell you my story. I want to tell you of how my weakness in life and how my deep disappointment with my circumstances was miraculously turned into a life of profound significance. And if God did it for me, he can certainly do it for you. So this is my story. 
This is my overcoming testimony. This is my simple story that ends significantly. Craig and I had two great little boys. I loved them so much. I loved being a mom. I loved everything about it. I loved blue Play-Doh mashed into my beige carpeting. Call me crazy, but I did. I loved the toys that I stepped on in the middle of the night. I loved watching Mr. Rogers and reading Green Eggs and Ham a thousand times a day. Okay, I just exaggerated about the thousand times a day, but certainly it was 10 times a day. I loved glitter on my kitchen table and Easter egg hunts and hanging up Christmas stockings. I was one of those women who knew the sacred call of motherhood. I never doubted that what I was doing as a mom, whether it was wiping noses or changing diapers or making grilled cheese sandwiches, was eternal and that it was holy and that I was called by the Father to partner with Him in raising these little men for His kingdom. And when Matt was nearly three and Christopher was nearly one— Craig and I decided it was time for another baby. I got pregnant right away, but at about 12 weeks along in my pregnancy, I lost the baby. The doctor told me, don't worry, Carol, you're young. You'll be able to get pregnant again. Getting pregnant was not my issue. And so Craig and I got pregnant again, quickly and easily. And this time, I lost the second baby at 15 weeks. Now, the sadness was much more pervasive this time. My heart was heavy, but I believed God for more babies. I got pregnant again as soon as the doctor said, okay, it's safe for you to get pregnant. And I lost the third baby at about 16 weeks. Now this time my heart was broken. I was devastated. How could this be? I was born to be a mother. It was my destiny. Motherhood was why I was created. Well, at this point in our story, Craig and I moved from Western New York, where Craig served on staff at a church, to North Carolina, where he was going to be the senior pastor of a church. And I began to go to the Duke Infertility Clinic for Women. And I had a brilliant doctor by the name of Dr. Granger. And as Dr. Granger read my charts and heard my story, he said, we're going to watch you carefully, Carol. The good news is you can get pregnant. And I work with hundreds of women every week who are unable to get pregnant. That's not your problem. That's a tougher problem to solve. And Dr. Granger looked at my face and he said, the better news is this, we can save your next baby. And so I got pregnant again and my pregnancy progressed under the watchful eye of Dr. Granger and his brilliant staff. And I made it to 15 weeks pregnant and then 16 and 17 and 18 weeks. And at 19 weeks, I began to bleed. And at 19 weeks and five days in my pregnancy, I delivered a tiny baby with no life. I held that little person in my hand. You know, as I look back on my life, that might have been the most sacred moment of my life. That delivery room became an altar where I surrendered myself to the Father in a new way. 
Now the delivery room was filled, as I recall, with neonatal specialists and doctors and nurses and pediatricians and interns. And in that room, in that room, you could hear brilliant, learned, educated doctors sobbing as they took our son away. And Trisha, Dr. Granger's nurse, who had by this time become a close friend, stood beside me holding my hand and wiping my forehead. And Trisha said to me, Carol, are you okay? And I said, yes, I'm going to be okay. And in the stillness and the holiness of that moment, my husband began to sing in the delivery room at Duke Hospital, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice. Well, I got pregnant again when Dr. Granger said I could. And at 16 weeks, another little baby escaped my womb and flew away to heaven. And during this season of life, the black hole of depression was calling my name, as you can imagine. Every day, it was all I could do to get out of bed, to breathe, to do the dishes. My one joy was to engage with the little boys who were now growing up. We began this journey when Matt was almost three and Chris was almost one, and now they were five and seven. And so the black hole was calling my name. I was depressed. And I was doing everything I could to live and to engage with life. And during this season of my life, not only was I depressed, not only were my hormones raging, not only was my heart and were my arms empty, but I developed an addiction. And the addiction that I developed was not to over-the-counter meds. It wasn't to shopping or to alcohol or to food but it was to the word of God. I developed a lifelong addiction to the Bible during that dark season of my life. Hey, listen, I would play Legos with my little boys while I had my Bible open in my lap. I would do the dishes with the Bible opened on the kitchen counter. I would fold the laundry with the Bible opened on the dryer. I was so addicted to the Word, and still am, that I would take three by five cards, write scripture verses on them, and laminate them, and take them in the shower with me, so that I would never be away from the power of the Word of God. You know, I was not swallowed alive by the black hole, but I learned the importance, the significance, the miracle that happens when you marinate in his presence. Psalm 1611 became my life verse. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. I had joy. I could hold somebody else's baby and not covet. I could go to baby showers and lay hands on the expectant mom and bless her and rejoice with her. I had joy because I was spending time in his presence. My circumstances hadn't changed, but my heart had because of the miracle that had happened 
I found joy in his presence. And then another disappointment came my way. Getting pregnant, as you know, had never been my challenge. But suddenly, for no reason, in my mid-30s, I stopped ovulating, and I was no longer able to become pregnant. Dr. Granger and his team put me on high doses of fertility drugs to get pregnant, but it didn't happen. I spent nearly a year on fertility drugs and never got pregnant. And it was the week between Christmas and New Year in 1987, and Matt and Chris were outside playing with the neighborhood friends in the snow, and I was watching a Christian TV show on on TV. I'll never forget it. I was folding blue washcloths at the moment, and they were closing this Christian TV show, and the pastor and his wife who were hosting it said, there's a pastor's wife out there. And as I was folding my blue washcloth, I thought, yeah, there are a lot of us. And she said, you have suffered repeated miscarriages. And I looked at the TV and she said, you're pregnant now. And I said, I am. And this woman of faith said, walk in faith, not in fear, because this one is going to stick. And on September the 2nd, 1988, which was eight and a half months later, after that show aired, Jordan Reed McLeod was born. It was a miracle. And now because I'm selfish, I wanted another baby. And so I talked Dr. Granger into letting me go back on fertility drugs. And after about seven or eight months, Dr. Granger said, that's it, Carol, no more. What we have put your body through in the last eight or 10 years, no. Go home and raise your little boys for the Lord. And I said, oh, you're right. You're right. I need to be grateful for what I've been given. And you know what? The next month I became pregnant on my own. And when I called Dr. Granger to tell him, he said to me, well, it's the residual effects of the fertility drugs. And I said to him, no, it's not. It's a miracle. And he said, I knew you were going to say that, Carol. Well, our fourth child was a little girl, and we named her Joy, because that's what you name a baby after three boys. You name her Joy. And then three and a half years later, I got the flu that lasted for months, and her name is Joni Rebecca, named after both of her doting grandmothers. My five children on earth have brought me happiness that fills my life inexpressively. But my five babies in heaven have taught me the secret to live a defiantly joyful life. Out of the deepest and darkest place in my life, I discovered my significance. I was born, yes, to be a mother but also to help women dealing with deep heart pain discover that there is only one place to find joy, and that is in His presence. What a significant assignment. And you know, I never would have discovered it without pain and disappointment. Joy doesn't come from our circumstances That's called happiness. Joy comes from living a life at full throttle for Christ in his kingdom. 
I want to tell you, my friends, that the battle you're in today was never meant to detour you, to discourage you, or to wound you. It was meant to bless you. It was meant to set you in your destiny. This is the way I like to say it. The battle you're in today was meant to give you spoil. It was meant to give you blessings and gifts that you never would have had without the battle. Thank you so much for listening to the very first Significant Women podcast. Every week during the mid-break, we'll be letting you know about a great resource that we're making available to you. This week, I want to tell you about my newest book that is appropriately entitled Significant, Becoming a Woman of Unique Purpose, True Identity, and Irrepressible Hope. It was my honor to be asked to write this book. And this book, quite simply, is a biblical response to four of the main challenges that women face today. I did thorough research on both secular and Christian platforms to identify the four issues that women face at this first part of the 21st century. I discovered that these issues are identity, purpose, stress, and loneliness. And you know what else I discovered? The Bible has powerful and practical answers to all four of those challenges in the life of a woman. If you or a friend of yours is facing one of these issues today, you can purchase Significant at our website, which is carolmccloudministries.com. For our podcast listeners only, we are offering the book for $12 plus shipping. You can use the code PODCAST2020 to purchase the book for this special pricing. Again, the code, all lowercase letters, PODCAST2020, PODCAST2020, and you'll get that special pricing of $12 plus shipping. Well, as always, thanks for listening today. And now let's get back to the podcast, which, as you know, today is my personal story and how I overcame deep disappointment in order to live a significant life. Let me tell you, it hasn't been easy, but my, has it been worth it. You know, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture is Second Chronicles 20. I actually hope you'll read it on your own this week. But it's the story of a young king by the name of Jehoshaphat who was attacked from all sides. And now this king, he didn't go count his armament. He, he didn't make new weapons. He didn't put his most valiant warriors on steeds. But what he did was he took the whole nation of Judah into the church. They fasted, they prayed, and they worshiped. And because they fought this battle God's way and not the world's way, there was not a man or a woman from Judah who even suffered from a scratch. What happened was the enemy forces ended up killing each other while the kingdom of Judah worshiped the Lord. Let me read to you the last few verses of this account of the battle in Scripture, 2 Chronicles 20, verses 26 through 30. 
Then on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. There they named that place the valley of Barakah until today. And that word Barakah means blessing. Where the battle was fought, they called it the greatest blessing of their life. Let me keep reading. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace. For the Lord gave them rest on all sides. In those verses, we see the words blessing, joy, peace, and rest. What could have annihilated the entire kingdom of Judah because they fought the battle God's way, it became a place of great reward. And I want to tell you today, I don't know what battle you're in, but I know the God that you serve, and he is able to take a battle and turn it into your finest hour. So infertility, my spoil was mountain moving faith. Now I can lay hands on infertile women and pray in faith and ask God to give them a baby. And in our office, in the emails that we receive, we hear nearly every week from a woman who was formerly barren, who now had a baby. Because God gave me the faith to believe on her behalf. It's not me. It's a gift from the Lord. Depression. My battle with depression turned me into a defiantly joyful Christian. Now I have a joy that literally defies my circumstances. So my friend, don't waste your pain, but use it as a springboard for ministry. Use your battle as a classroom for grand significance. Perhaps it is your battle that is teaching you how to live a significant life. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. You're going to love these verses. These verses have the capacity to turn your pain into your significance. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. Okay, in light of that scripture, let me ask you a question. Who better to comfort a woman dealing with infertility than a woman who's walked that journey? Who better to comfort a woman in the black hole of depression than a woman who spent time there? You see, when we go through pain, it so will run to the Father to be comforted, so then He can use us to comfort a world in pain. You know, in closing, let me tell you that depression and infertility are not the only chapters in my story of pain. They are not the only places in my life where disappointment, where trauma has met the power of God. In the fall of 2014, I was writing a book that we'd already entitled Refined, 
finding joy in the midst of the fire. I told my publisher, I want to write a book that deals with the tough things in life. I want to answer hard questions. I want to respond to to why do Christians deal with early death and cancer and and losing babies and and widowhood and and losing children. And my publisher said, okay, let's do it. And so I was just 30 days away from my deadline and the book was really written. I was just proofreading and fine tuning it. When I went for my yearly mammogram, which let me just say, I hated it, but I did it anyway. And it was discovered that I had very aggressive breast cancer. I couldn't believe it. Nobody in my family had ever been diagnosed with cancer before. And I couldn't believe I was yet in another battle, this one for my very life. And about the third day into the battle, I asked God for a fighting scripture. And he gave me Nahum 1.15, for never again will the wicked one pass through you. He is cut off completely. And I knew, I knew I was going to make it through the battle. I knew it was a one-time thing. And I fought with every ounce of joy, every ounce of praise, every scripture I could find. And let me tell you, I hated cancer and I never want to go through it again. But in some unexplainable way, it was among the most joyful two years of my entire life. One of my stories from my battle with cancer is that it was the week between Christmas and New Year in 2014, and I was at the oncologist's office. I didn't know it, but I was going to get some really bad news that day. And I would always go in and and say, Lord, who do you want me to sit beside? Who do you want me to encourage? Because I knew there was only one reason that I was being asked to walk through this battle. It was because somebody needed Jesus. It was because it was a doctor or a nurse or a patient or an anesthesiologist who needed the hope and the joy that I could give to them. And so this particular day, I felt led to sit beside a woman with no hair and a gray complexion. And I said to her, hey, I'm Carol. What's your name? And she told me her name was Martha. And I said, how are you doing? And she said, not very well. And I said, you're not. Why not? And she looked at me like I was the stupidest person on the face of the planet. And she said, because I'm dying. And she said it just like that. And I took her hands in mine and I said, you know what, Martha? None of us gets out of here alive. And I began to share with her my hope and my joy and my peace. And we were both just sobbing in the doctor's office. My husband kept handing us tissues. And I knew that one of us was going to get called in to see the doctor quickly. So I said to her, Martha, can I pray for you? And then she began to sob even harder. And she said to me, Carol, I've been battling cancer for seven years. And you are the first person who has ever said, can I pray for you? And I must say to you, my friend, where are we? Where are the significant women of this generation who are not afraid of a battle, who are not afraid to take the peace and the joy and the blessing and the rest of the Lord into fierce situations in life? My friend, don't waste your pain. Use it as a platform for ministry and for destiny and for living a powerful life. Okay, I've talked about me but I'm going to close by talking about you. 
What was the worst day of your life? What has been your most painful moment? I'm praying that the power of God will meet you there right now, today. I am praying that you will get a vision that that moment, you were allowed to walk through that moment in order to give you a platform and a heart for ministry. Because in that place of pain, it's where your destiny was birthed. It's where your significance was conceived. My friends, you can write your story or you can let God do it. It's up to you. I can't change the setting, the circumstances, the events, or the people of your story, but I can tell you that God can change the moral of your story. He can take something that is hard and difficult and unbearable and turn it into something beautifully significant. Now, this will only happen when you cease to be the main character in your story. Because you see, my friend, your life story is not really about you. It's about you allowing Jesus to ooze out of every pore of your human body. John 3.30 says, I must decrease and he must increase. You, my friend, are a significant woman. Don't ever forget it. Well, thank you for joining me today. I hope that what you've realized after listening to today's podcast is that no matter what you've gone through in life, no matter how difficult your situation may seem, that you're not forgotten, that you're loved, and that you are still a candidate for joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Father, we thank you for your word that's so powerful. And Father, we thank you that you've called us at this moment in history to live a significant life and to bring you glory and honor and praise. In the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I hope you'll join me next week for more of Significant Women.